beautiful presence of the Lord that's in this place. Let's take time to entertain it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's take time to worship it. Hallelujah, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. You are my Lord and I love you tonight. I praise your name. I seek you, Lord Jesus, with everything within me, Lord. I love you and I worship you, Jesus. You are awesome and I glorify your name. You are worthy of my praise, Lord. But even more importantly, you are worthy of my worship. God, I bow before you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My spirit is humble before you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. My spirit is humble before you, O God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. The Spirit of the Lord is not going to leave us. He has come to be in our presence, and I am so thankful for it. Hallelujah. The series with Daniel has been, as you know, titled a series on faith and restoration. And tonight we'll be focused upon uh, the operation of that faith and restoration. I want to encourage the church before I bring you this final message that you operate in faith. The world in which we live has set up a false choice. They have said you either use your brain or you have faith. People who have faith don't think. People who think don't have faith. This is patently false. Your brain when submitted to the Spirit of God and humbled before Him, is perfectly capable of operating and you still being able to have faith, substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. And the two coexist in the same reality. You do not have to become a nutcase to have faith in God. Nor do you have to lose your senses in order to have faith in God. You can have faith in God. The key is, is who's driving? This is where the problem lies. This one's for free, folks, okay? The problem is, is that when we become the drivers, when it's our issues, our motivations, our needs, all of our things 
that become the motivators. Then's when faith becomes a reproach. But when God's agenda is simply being complied with by us, then faith is simply the bridge between our physical, knowable world and what is happening in that spirit world that we cannot see and we do not know. Sunday evening, four weeks ago, April 1st, I sat down in my office with a gentleman. I talked with this gentleman about some things within his life, desires, long-standing requests that had been made before the Lord. In the midst of talking to him, I felt within the Lord, and I did not just feel it because I wanted something, but I just felt it within my spirit, within the Spirit of God operating within me. I said to this gentleman, I said, if you will ask, we are going to agree together in prayer. And within four weeks, God is going to answer our request. That was April 1st. If you count four weeks out from April 1st, this morning, when God filled Brother Herman McKinney with the Holy Ghost, it was week number four. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I can tell you something that had nothing to do with me except that I happened to be in a place where I could express faith to him. I promise you, he did all the hard work. He's the one who all four weeks kept coming to church and kept asking. I guarantee you, by experience, I know that there were times that he stepped from this altar and there was a feeling of sadness because he had prayed once again, but God hadn't filled him with the Holy Ghost. He had done everything he'd known to do, but God hadn't filled him with the Holy Ghost. But you kept coming, my friend, and you kept asking. Now, that is a faith that you can take to the bank and there are going to be more coming. That when you face the next challenge in life, you can go back and say, no, 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 no. I know how God operates. So even when his timing's different than mine, even when it hasn't happened exactly when I want it to, I believe my God. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Faith upon faith upon faith. Those circumstances where God proves himself. Now, I said all of that to say this to the church. If you will die to your will, and if you will die to your agendas, in that place of submission to the Almighty God, exercise faith and walk boldly. I'm not the only one that's supposed to be talking to people. I'm not the only one who can say to somebody, we're going to agree in prayer, and God's going to answer that prayer. I'm not the only one. I can pray for the sick, but I'm not the only one that can pray for the sick. This body can operate according to the direction of the Spirit when we have faith in God. Faith is not turning our brain off. It is bringing our mind in submission to God so that His agenda becomes our agenda. Then all that happens is, is we get to be a part of it. And in case you don't remember, I'm just glad to be on the team. Mm, I'm just glad to be on the team. I don't have to be the lead. I don't care where I'm at on the team. Just hook me up, Jesus. I'm glad to be on the team. Amen? Praise God. Now, um, 
again, I, I cannot tell you how important it is if you, for whatever reason, have not heard the first two sermons in this series, please see Ben to get a CD if you want to, of both of them. Go to our website. They're available there. You can stream them. You can download them. If you know how to use iTunes, go get it from the podcast. I mean, I, I don't know what else we can do. We're pumping it out there. There's no cost. You can save it. You can give it to people. Everything. Please go and listen to the first two sermons. In short, the first sermon showed us how Daniel exercised, despite great odds, great faith. And the Lord rewarded him. Vegetables and water alone, the three Hebrew uh, brothers or, or, or children, as we tend to call them, walked along with him. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known by their Babylonian names as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And together, the four of them saw God bless them as they were obedient. Now, last week was a tough one to preach to you. Because last week, we saw three of them continue to exercise their faith. And one of them was co-opted. So Daniel at the golden statue stands as a stark reminder that when the blessings of God come upon your faithfulness and the blessings of God will lead to the blessings of men. The church needs to hear that. They need to hear that very, very clearly. When you are faithful to God, when you challenge him according to the terms of his word and you are obedient to him and you, and you believe in him, you have faith, extraordinary faith in the face of extraordinary circumstances he will bless you, and the blessings of God lead to the blessings of men. The world will figure out something's on that person. The world will figure out, I don't want to lose that person. They may not be able to articulate why, but they will know, I want that person close to me. And the blessings of men will begin to come, but therein lies the potential danger that by the blessings of God that lead to the blessings of men, we can become co-opted and we can find ourselves as Daniel did at the golden statue and I believe as I made my case to you last week you can find yourself bowing to a God you never planned to bow to you can find yourself serving a king you never intended to submit to and you can find yourself failing your friends in their greatest moment of faith there they stood Shadrach Meshach and Abednego king understand our God whether he delivers us out of the fiery furnace or he does not understand we will never serve your gods and we will never bow before your statue and as I contended to you last week this was the moment of failure on Daniel's part because there he stood in the presence of the king the ruler of the province of Babylon. And he said not a word. He said not a word. Now, I got good news for you tonight. Even when you have failed, we serve a God of second chances. And understand that the second chance is going to look remarkably the same as the first one he'll bring you back around and give you another shot to do what you should have done in the first place the book of Daniel is an interesting book when we finish with chapter 3 and the and the golden statue in chapter 4 you can read that the king had another 
vision. He had another dream that he needed Daniel to tell him the interpretation of. And you will find there that God warns King Nebuchadnezzar that he's going to be reduced basically to a beast because of his pride and because of his arrogance. And so Daniel does this. And then we're basically, we leave King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, and this is why I believe Daniel wrote this book, because Daniel had two very specific agendas. He had, he had an agenda of telling his story. And then second, he had the agenda of giving us some of his visions. And the rest of the book after tonight's chapter, which is uh, chapter 6, is really the bulk of it is, is visions that Daniel had. Um, and many of them even tacking back uh, anachronistically or chronologically out of order back to the time of Nebuchadnezzar. But in chapter 5, we're told that many, many years have gone by. In fact, most scholars believe that the story, I'm going to tell you very quickly here, that Daniel at this point was about 81 years old. So a very long time has progressed. Now remember, the Bible has a way of alighting time, of bringing time close together, and, and, and from one chapter to the next could have been 20 years, and it seems like it was just a moment. And so we don't know how long it was from the time that these young men were, were lost their manhood and, 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 and lost their identity and, and lost their nation and their city and, and their access and were brought to Babylon and there were placed in the service of the king. We don't know how long it was from that point as young men, probably teenagers, how long was it from there until the point that, that God uh, began to move in their midst and, and they began to advance in the service of the king? And as they advanced in the service of the king and Daniel bailed out all the other astrologers and all of the others who were, who were unable to tell the dreams, that could have been 10, that could have been 15 years. We don't know how long. So we don't know how long it was until they stood before that golden statue. They could have still been young men, but it's also very possible that they could have been, in fact, in their 30s or perhaps in their 40s. And so more time has passed. We just simply do not have strong chronological markers to say exactly what happens. But we do have the indication based upon the kings that if Daniel was in his late teens or early 20s, that then this would place him at the point of this final chapter serving the kingdom of Babylon, that he would have been in his 70s or perhaps already into his 80s. An old man even by the standards of that day. We're told that a successor, in fact, it's, I believe, and here I didn't go and do my uh, Babylonian uh, research as closely, but I believe it was actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, and it might even be a little further distance, even though if you read it, it'll say father. It, it Father in that sense of chapter 5 really refers to an ancestor. There's been several kings since Nebuchadnezzar of the kingdom of Babylon, and Daniel has served them. And we're told there's one whose name is very similar to his Babylonian name, as opposed to Daniel's Babylonian name of Belteshazzar with a T. This one is Belshazzar. And Belshazzar comes to power, and he's kind of depicted in chapter 5 as one who has a whole lot of arrogance, and he's, he's enjoying what he hasn't earned. Nebuchadnezzar was a warrior king. He fought battles. He built his kingdom. And, and Belshazzar has just basically enjoyed the wealth and the, and the power that has come from what his grandfather, or at least ancestor, has built for him. And so we're told that he one day got bored and decided to have a party. 
And as part of the party, he decided to send. Something got his attention. Something grabbed his, his, uh, his interest. And he sent and said, I want you to bring from the treasure house of our God, I want you to bring the golden vessels that used to reside in the temple of Jerusalem. And so in the midst of this, it's depicted somewhat as if it's a, it ranges through the whole day and into the night. They bring these golden vessels and they bring them and they begin to use them in a non-sacred sense. They begin to use them to drink and to party and to do probably very ungodly things. And as a result, there comes a hand and appears on the wall and begins to write. Almost every Sunday school child somewhere through their journey in Sunday school learns these words. Meanie, meanie, tikel yufarsen. Of course, it freaks the party out. This hand appearing, writing in the wall. And so the old Daniel is called in. The wise man who, of, of, of history, they know that this is the guy who, who's able to tell things that even the best astrologers, they, they can't figure it out. This guy has an anointing upon him. Bring Daniel in. And, and so Daniel comes and he informs Belshazzar that uh, there's a little bit of a problem. That God has, uh, in fact, moved in and has given him a message. Because meaning means numbered. And so God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. And tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and you've not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and has been, in fact, given to the Medes and the Persians. And we're told at that point that, that Belshazzar acted like a king who had no clue. He gave great honors. He gave a gold chain. He put all kinds of robes upon Daniel. He elevated him to the highest status. He was the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. But that very night, this king, verse 30 of chapter 5, says that very night Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. History outside of the scripture tells us that at that very moment, while Daniel is standing there decoding these words, the Persian king is in the waterways coming into the city of Babylon. Literally close at hand. Daniel barely gets this done. Perhaps was still in the room. And here comes the Medes and the Persians. And Darius the Mede, verse 31, took over the kingdom and he was of the age of 62 years old. Let me tell you about a 62-year-old. 62-year-old is old enough to be smart and young enough to still have some vim and vigor. And so Darius comes into this kingdom, and one of the things that he does is what every king has done before. He picks off all the wise guys. And he absorbs them into his retinue. He absorbs them into his cabinet, if you will. He absorbs them into him. And so what happens is, as we're told in chapter 6, that Darius the Mede decided to take this massive kingdom. He already had a massive kingdom, but he took over the Babylonian kingdom. And he divided the kingdom into 120 provinces. Think about that. Massive. Big. Babylon was small compared to the Medes and the Persians. Divides them into 120 provinces, and he appoints a high officer to rule over each province. Perhaps you could call it a governor or whatever you wanted to, but it's, there's a single officer. So there's 120 high officers collectively. Then the scripture tells us in verse 2, the king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. So there are three men who are over all of this system of 120 provinces, each with a ruler. 
And over time, verse 3 tells us, that Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. So all the high officers that were over each province, he was better than them, and he was even better than the other two administrators. So because of Daniel's great ability, now everybody remember, where's the great ability come from? Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. He was going to go from Babylon, third highest ruler, to the Medes and the Persians, second in command. He's a eunuch, I believe. He's been long gone from Jerusalem. His identity has changed. Lost his name. He spent the bulk of his life in a country that is not his own. In a culture that's not his own. He's probably 80 years old or greater. But verse 4 tells us that the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or to condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Now there's a whole sermon right there about what we as Christians need to be. Our bosses need to have that same opinion. And our co-workers, when they're critical, need to find nothing they can either criticize or condemn. You say, that's a heavy burden, preacher. Not when you know where it comes from. Because God will empower you to do what you humanly cannot do. You should be above reproach. And he can help you with it. So they concluded, these high officers, these other two administrators, they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Where had Daniel failed before? And for what reason? He had failed with regard to the rules of his religion, and he had failed because he had advanced to a position where he had something to lose. Now he stands poised. He's one of three. He's excelling the other two. And there's plans in motion for the king to make him over the whole empire. He got something to lose, doesn't he? Can everybody see that the stage is set for once again coming back around to his failure. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and they said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. 
So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, and I want everybody to stop there. Stop reading. I want you to stop right there. I believe Daniel, he wasn't as young as he was. He wasn't as good looking as he was. His head was probably white. And he looked at that and he went, I've seen this before. I've looked at this before. I have laid awake at night sleepless, thinking of my friends over this one. I know this one. I know this one. All of the images that I... I just, in my spirit, I can't prove it to you, church, and you know I can't prove it to you, but I believe that those images in his head, those images of those boys being picked up as he stood there by the king's side, being thrown into that fiery furnace, those images of those men falling dead because of the seven times hotter flame, as he said nothing, The excitement and yet shame as he watched the Son of God. A theophany of God himself, I believe, step into those flames and walk among those flames with those three faithful men. Men he had taught to have faith. He had said nothing. He stood there and listened. He'd heard it before. The God of Daniel. But this time it was not the God of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar said, No one may speak ill of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel stood there in his new garb. He stood there hiding behind his position. Hiding behind all of the blessings of men that had come from the blessings of God that had co-opted his faith. He'd had a lot of years to think about. I got a message for somebody tonight. God's not as concerned about your failure as he is about what you do when he brings you back around to it again. There's some people here that the devil has been able to talk to you and say, you blew it. Now, he's always telling the people of God that they blew it. And most of the time he's lying. But every once in a while we make a truth teller out of the devil. We give him such fodder that he don't even have to lie to us. Now he does go ahead and lie because he says there's no hope. And I'm here tonight to tell you there is. But he doesn't have to make up any lie about what we did. He just looks at it and says, look at that. You blew it. How can you say you love God? And you let your friends go into that flame alone. How can you say that you love God and you hid behind your robes of governorship? How, how can you say you love God? You've denied him. You failed him. I believe that this ricocheted around in Daniel's mind, and I believe this is why 
that we have the story that we have tonight included in the story of Daniel. It's not because he knew that it was going to be popular with the children along with Noah's Ark and David and Goliath. This was Daniel telling us of his faith, of his failure, and of his reconciliation. So the command goes forth. The law is signed. Somebody, a scribe, a servant, somebody. Let me just tell you, he wasn't the administrator of three of the whole Medes and Persians empire without having a few folks working for him. Somebody came and told him. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, I don't think he spent a whole lot of time thinking about what he's going to do. See, ladies and gentlemen, some of you have failed. I don't, I don't have anybody in particular in mind, but you have failed in your faith. You have been co-opted. You've been bought out. Tonight's message is to tell you there is coming a point somewhere, sometime. I don't know when. I don't know if it's tonight. I don't know if it's tomorrow. I don't know when. But God will bring you back around to another chance. God will bring you back around to another circumstance. And the key is, is that in your moment of failure, you settle what you're going to do the next chance you have to face that. Because I believe that what we see within the story of Daniel is that Daniel did not have to think about what he was going to do. He did not weigh out what he was going to do. All those sleepless nights where he could see the faces of his friends and he could feel the shame of having failed his God had settled in his heart. That ain't happening to me again. You're not going to co-opt me that way again. It's not going to happen that way again. It's not going down that way again. And so we're told in verse, 30, or verse 10 that when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. I used to, as a child, always wonder, why didn't he just shut his windows? He'd still be praying. He could still follow that Middle Eastern custom of directional prayer. Why did he have to have the windows open? I'll tell you why. Because he said, one time I stood silent. One time I stood hidden behind. And I let three of my brothers, who I taught to believe in the power of Almighty God, I let them go into a fire. I let them go into a trial. I let them go into a circumstance alone. Yeah, Daniel was declaring to himself, I have the same faith I had in that first day that I'm going to put God to the test because if i got to die, it's better that I die than I close these shutters. want you to understand something about the story of Daniel. What the devil does not understand is that when he causes you to fail, he does not realize that in that failure, 
lies the potential of the most powerful weapon you could ever have. If he would ever learn this, I believe he would get his paws off of us and stop messing with us. And if the church will ever learn this, because I promise you something, God will always bring you back to your place of failure and give you a chance to turn it from failure to faith. Somebody here tonight, you've been beating on yourself. You've been laying awake at night. You've been having images flash through your mind. You've been going, I've blown it, I've blown it. There's no way it can be what it was supposed to be. There's no way it can turn out the way God intended it to be. I dropped the ball. I failed him. Somebody needs to hear me. God is bringing you back around. I don't know when, but he's bringing you back around. And you will face the exact same decision point. And when you come to that decision point, I beg of you, have settled in your heart already what you're going to do. Because when you make that point of turning from failure to faith, there is a reconciliation that occurs between you and your God. And the strength of your relationship will be that much greater than it would have been before. I don't want my children to fail, but I know that the strength, my potency in the spirit world has come not from where I have not failed, but from my failures that then when God brought me back around to those same places, I turned faith that I had failed to faith that I succeeded. So Daniel, he goes to his room. I don't believe he went there without trepidation. But i got to be honest with you, I have a sneaky suspicion simply because of the length of time, 81 years old, and because of the gravity of what he did. I know I mentioned to you that one of my colleagues got very mad at Brother Peyton about saying that Daniel was there because he felt it destroyed a hero. Daniel is a greater hero to me. Because I can actually identify with him. I, I, I get standing there, having had faith in God, God blessing my life, the blessings of men coming, and me losing my head. I get that. I can kind of understand that. I, I kind of been there. I probably will be there some more. Problem's not the failure. Yes, it's great for us to skip the failures. My children, I preached to you intensely last Sunday night, and I say to you again, I don't want you to fail, but the problem is not the failures. That's why I said to you in the car going home, you never run from me about coming to me about failures. But the problem is not whether you fail. It's what you do with those failures. So I kind of have a feeling that while Daniel was aware of the potential risk, Daniel was almost excited. He was almost elated. Because he did know what happened when he took the chance with vegetables and water. 
I'm sure he had a few other times that he had had faith in God. And so he was excited because God's given me another shot. It looks the same. I'm in conflict with a king's orders. I got a lot to lose. And I'm on my own. So we went home. He didn't close those windows. He got down on his knees and he prayed. Verse 11 tells us, he, Daniel kind of tells us, I believe, that they, were, they, they knew he was going to do it. They knew when he prayed. They had very carefully crafted this baby. They had observed him. They had observed his practices. Don't think the devil doesn't observe your lifestyle. Don't think that the people around you aren't watching how you live. Don't think they don't figure out where you're going on what days. They had observed him. They'd say, we can get him on this one. He never shuts those windows. Can I tell you something? You will not exercise faith in the test if you don't exercise faith before the test. If he had spent all of his time in the capital with his windows closed but praying three times a day, they wouldn't have known to test him on that. I believe Daniel had such a chip on his shoulder because of his failure that Daniel wouldn't hide anything about who he was. This guy had the perfect disappearance mode. He had been a Jew. He had risen to third highest in the kingdom of Babylon. Why not just masquerade as a Babylonian? Well, he probably had a big Jewish schnoz. Oh, come on. All the Middle Eastern people had big schnozzes. No, he could have hid. He could have hid out. Uh-uh. He wasn't doing that again. Learn to take your failure. But you can't do it if you won't call it a failure. You won't do it unless you look at it and go, that wasn't the right choice. Can I blow you away and tell you that I don't think Daniel was trying to do wrong? Can I tell you that you don't have to have wrong intent to have a failure of your faith? You don't have to have wrong intent. Everybody assumes that you've got to have, oh, I'm trying to not serve God or I'm trying to hurt God. No, 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 no. When I pastor everybody in this church, I assume you've got right intent. If you ever get correction from me or you ever have interaction with me, I'm assuming you got right intent. I don't deal with your intent. Intent is a heart matter. That's between you and God. Only God can know whether your intent's wrong. I'm just dealing with your actions. I don't have any question about his intent. But he dropped the ball. So when he got to his new job, he didn't hide. I imagine him, because you've got to understand, he, if he followed the rules, and at this point he'd have had enough means to do it, it means he strapped on phylacteries. It means he had a little thing stuck on his forehead. It means he had something stuck on his hand. Probably had something on his door sill. He didn't hide. See, the power, if I can get this across to you tonight, the power... A failure coupled 
with faith. Now, this is the pernicious part. My wife and I have talked about this and so many times because we are trying to build our children in such a way and provide them an environment where they do not have the failure. But she and I both know that the strength of our love for God has not come from all the things we did right. It has come from those moments in which we failed. We knew better. And we Drop the ball. We blew it. But when you couple that with faith, oh, God does something in the reconciliation. I don't know how to explain it because a break is never as strong as the original, but somehow in God, the break is stronger than the original. He wasn't hiding. He was waiting for the opportunity. Some of you need to stop spending so many sleepless nights about your failure and stare at your failure. Analyze your failure. Figure out where you went wrong and get prepped because I promise you God's bringing you back around to it. So they knew that he prayed. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were watching. I don't think he prayed three times. I think he prayed once. Verse 11 says, Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asked for God's help, and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king. They reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law for the next 30 days? Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Even the king couldn't revoke his own law. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested, gave orders for, the king, for Daniel to be thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought. It was placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seal of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. I want you to pay close attention to what happens here. Very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel! Servant of the living God. Was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel. We always pay attention to this part. I want you to see another part that you haven't seen. 
My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. That was not about a judgment of a law of the Medes and the Persians about not praying and God said he was innocent. That was the voice of an 81-year-old man who had year after year after year replayed the silence that he had stood by King Nebuchadnezzar, the silence in which he had watched his brethren thrown into the fire and he had prayed, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. But in that moment where faith was coupled with failure and he dropped into the lion's den and the angel showed up and he shut the lion's mouth, his answer to the king was not just, hey, I'm alive and I got a bad God. I have been found innocent. The awesome nature of this, the reason I believe Daniel includes this in it is because Daniel understood at that moment that he served a God who demanded obedience, but he also served a God that knew how to bring about reconciliation. I have not wronged you, your majesty. I've been found innocent. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him. For he had trusted in his God. I find it interesting that earlier when the king puts him in, it says, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. It's the same language that's used by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, listen, big guy, you can throw us in there, but we serve a God that can rescue us. But whether he does or he doesn't, we will never bow to your statue, and we will never serve your gods. I believe that these words that had occurred there on the plain of Dora were burned, seared into the mind of Daniel. He had heard them echoing over and over and over and over and over again. So when the king called out to him, when the stone came off of the den, Daniel wasn't so excited about the lions. Daniel wasn't so focused on the angel. I believe when they hoisted Daniel out of that den, the smile on his face was not, I'm living smile on his face was that God that showed up for me so many years ago when I challenged him on the terms of his word he showed up again my Jesus showed up again he didn't say that but I'd say that my Jesus showed up again ladies and gentlemen I want you to understand something that the church has even said God won't forgive certain things. I'm here tonight to tell you God didn't get that memo. I'm here tonight to talk to somebody and tell you God did not get that memo. The church has said certain people cannot be used if they've done certain things. And I'm here tonight to tell you that God did not get that memo. 
God does not operate according to the mandates of man. He operates according to the mandates of his own nature. And his own nature is, is that if you believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, he is a God who can do anything. He is a God who is moved by faith and he always is able to do the impossible. I'm telling you tonight, if you failed, you need to look squarely at your failure. Don't excuse it. Don't run around it. Don't try to get away from it. Look squarely at it. Figure out what you did wrong and prepare yourself that when God brings you back around, you know what you're going to do. Now, when you face that test, you don't know for sure. You got to settle it in your mind that if you had died at the mouth of the lions, you deserved to. Because you didn't stand for him earlier, so now it's your turn to stand. It's the same attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah had when they said, Hey, we know our God can deliver us out of your flames. But the terms of our faithfulness are not based upon whether, in fact, he does or he doesn't. I've settled it. I am going to serve God. The king was overjoyed. They lifted him out. Verse 24, Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. The lions leaped on them. Tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message. Oh, I, I don't know about you, but I, 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 I can just, I, I'm just Daniel. I'm standing there and I can just hear it. Because he, he'd heard this message once before, but his name hadn't been in it. He'd heard this message once before, but his name hadn't been in it. It had been Shadrach's name. It had been Meshach's name. He'd been Abednego's name, and he'd been hiding. Peace and prosperity to you, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. It's my God, out in the open, not hidden. My God. Finally, the king because of the faith I had in my God and the actions my God took in response to my faith, the king, a man who knows not God, is decreeing in my name, that's Daniel's God. I'm here tonight to tell you, I do not care where you have failed. I'm telling you, if you will gird yourself, if you will look squarely at your failure, if you will prepare yourself, God's going to bring you back around to the same circumstances and the same choice so that you can, through faith in Him, be reconciled unto Him and take your failure and turn it into a moment of faith that conquers all. For He is the living God, and He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule shall never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. A man of faith who got co-opted. 
And in being co-opted, failed his friends. Didn't want to. Didn't intend to. But he did anyway. Came back around. And exercised that same faith that he had had with the vegetables and the water. And I believe tonight, church, that the, one of the main reasons he wrote the book was he said, I got to tell somebody. I don't need to tell them about all the palaces I've seen. I need to tell them about when I believed. I need to tell them about when I failed. And I need to tell them about when I believed again. Guys, I don't want you to fail. I control your world. I control what you have access to. But there's going to come a time when I got to step back from that control. I don't want you to fail. But please never forget the words of your dad. That when you do fail, don't run from God. Turn back towards him. Because this God who demands our obedience has also died for our sins. So when you fail, Figure out what you did wrong. Figure out why you did it. And then look for the opportunity when it comes again to make the different choice and give the devil a big old black eye. So how long? I don't know. But I got a message from the king for you tonight. Your failure He's going to give you an opportunity to turn it into a victory. You just need to exercise your faith in him and prepare yourself so that when you come back around, I don't, my words are failing me tonight for you to just to get a hold of that moment when, when Daniel heard the law. If I were him, the way I'd say it is, time slowed way down. Here it is. The moment's come. The test is on. This is exactly where I blew it last time. But this time, not going to blow it. Know what I did last time. Know what I scared of last time. Know where I made the wrong decisions last time. Know what I looked at that I shouldn't have looked. I, I know what I did last time because I've been thinking about it. I've been looking at it. I've been running from it. I've looked at it square in the face. And here I am. I almost think he skipped home. I don't think he was all slumped over. I think he walked saying, all right. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to chomp on me or not. Sure hope that son of God, that angel, comes like he did in the burning fiery furnace. But you know what? Doesn't matter because I got a chance to do what I should have done back there on the plains of Dora. And I wimped out. I got a chance. He walked home, shut the door, 
got to the time of prayer, got down on his knees. Windows open, looking towards Jerusalem. Raised his voice. I don't think he whispered that Jewish prayer, brother Owen. He might even got a little louder than he normally did. Come on now. There's some things that the devil has been spending all this time telling you that God cannot use you because of. I'm telling you right now, God is fixing to bring you back around to the place of the failure of your faith to give you a chance to turn failure. into the most potent weapon you have. My wife and I have talked. This is her words. She says, Steve, I would be the most self-righteous person you know in this world if it weren't for my failure. Reason we're gentle with you. Yeah, I challenge you, absolutely. It's my job as a preacher. I must preach the word to you. The reason I don't throw you away. Some of you wonder why you don't get thrown away. I'm telling you why. Because I've not always had faith. I've had it. Then I've gotten co-opted. But I'm telling you, he's going to bring you back around. And you need to gird up for it. You need to get excited about it. Because the good news is, is where you failed you can figure out why you failed. If you're willing to be honest with yourself, you can look it square in the eye. You can figure out, what did I do wrong there? How is it that I stood there quietly as my friends went into the fire? How is it that I stood there quietly and bowed my head to that statue? How is it that I did that? I don't know what it was with Daniel. Daniel doesn't tell us what the inner workings was. We just know he figured out what it was. Because when it came time not to pray, when it came time to shut the doors, the windows, when it came time to hide, Daniel didn't hide that time. Windows wide open. Prayer right out there in the open. And then those words that I don't know how to say it to you. I have been found innocent. <laughs> See, Jesus went to a cross not just to exterminate sin. He went to a cross so He could look at you and in your sin and in your failing when you express that faith to Him so He could look at you and say, you're innocent. He went to the cross so He could say like He did to the woman who was found guilty of adultery, I find no fault in you. Oh, I want to talk about hell because I don't want people to go there. But in talking about hell, I don't want to give anybody the impression that God's in the business of trying to send you to hell. God is not in the business of trying to send anybody to hell. God is in the business of saying, I find no fault with you. But you've got to face your failing. You've got to have your Daniel at the lion's den. Where your failing of the past is not repeated, but is transformed. The part that I, my wife and I spend a lot of time trying to figure out is we know our intimacy with our Father has come from our restoration and reconciliation because of failure. 
You don't really know my God until you failed him and then had the faith to love him back anyway and feel his love come rushing back at you. I'm not telling you, as the Apostle Paul would say, to go in sin that the grace of God may be greater. No, that is not what I'm telling you. But I am here to tell you that when you have failed, please don't walk away from him. And please don't excuse or run away or hide from your failure. It's in that moment, it's in that failing that you can find out how great the love of God is. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus loves me. And He loves me with a love that is not dependent upon my failings. But it is unleashed by my faith. Story of Daniel. I hope you never read Daniel the same again. I hope you never think of him on the same terms. When Brother Peyton told me of this paper that he had wrote. See, academia is not just all uh, irrelevant. When he told me of this, the Lord just started talking to me and it, it just popped to me. I went, oh my goodness, what an awesome story. An awesome story of your faithfulness to us. But the awesome story of a man who had faith failed. But then through faith again was reconciled to the God that he so loved. 81 years old or maybe a little older, all was good. The same is available to you tonight. I'm done. Would you come and pray? Would you turn the pews into a, a place of prayer? Jesus, thank you for your great love. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your great love. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.